Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Troy, I need to start this review with a complaint. Not a complaint about the movie. It's nothing to do with the movie. It's my issue. It lies with streaming services that have classic pieces of cinema, mostly of horror cinema, low-budget, independent horror cinema specifically. Uh, They really need to get their shit together because I'm tired of watching great films in the lowest, grittiest resolution possible. I feel like the movie that we're about to discuss today, I had to watch through goggles covered in mud. But I know I like the movie nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I agree. I, that's why I'm glad I, I'm glad I bought the Blu-ray. I bought the Blu-ray of this film about two years ago at Texas Frightmare Weekend when uh, Vin- Vinegar Syndrome first put it out. And when I saw it, I knew I had to have it because this was one that I saw, oh, you know, as a kid at the um, video store, it had a really deceiving box art to it. And when I had rented it, I had realized I had seen it before, like late night on like Showtime and had loved it and just never knew what it was. So I got to watch this in all its Blu-ray glory. And let me tell you, it looked beautiful. It looked beautiful. Did it? Listen, here's the thing. I, I'm going to just put it out there to start. I really enjoyed the film, but I know I would enjoy it 10 times more if I could see what the fuck was going on. (laughs) Um, and, and I, and I yearn to view this, uh, edition that you're talking about that was released the vinegar syndrome, uh, release because uh, honestly I could see the potential in this movie looking really great um, with all the shadows and you know the, uh, it's just done really well this movie for being a low budget nothing it, it, it's done really well it's really fun and this is a movie I too would want to seek out and view uh, in, in you know in high def and in the best resolution possible and you, you said it's worth it yeah it is worth it it is worth it it's 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 it looks really good so definitely. Yeah, definitely check it out if you can get a hold of it. I'm sure you can. Yeah, I love a good remaster. I do love that we are getting a lot of these classic films remastered uh, and re-released. A lot of these titles that we've been wanting, these more obscure titles, you're seeing it more and more. And I'm I'm all about it. Keep it coming. Because I can't watch another good movie the way I just watched this one. Troma, your streaming service, get your shit together. What was that nonsense? You're not winning any points with me, also the box art of this movie, the original box art with that bullshit title. I highly pre- prefer the title that you have with your re-release, uh, The House on Tombstone Hill. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think we should probably tell the uh, audience what film we're doing in case they didn't listen to us last week. Which, shame on you if yes. you did not. But uh, Because if you did, you know what we were doing. But we are covering the 1989 film, The House on Tombstone Hill. 
aka probably much better known as Dead Dudes in the House, which is a horrific title. The worst title ever. With a more even more horrific box art to it. And we'll talk about why, but I think it's pretty blatantly obviously why. And then it's also known as The Dead Come Home. In fact, Vinegar Syndrome, they use all three titles for this film. It's really kind of confusing. It's not confusing, but it's really just interesting that they they did what they did because the Blu-ray package is under the title The House on uh, Tombstone Hill. But when you open up the Blu-ray and take it out, the disc is Dead Dudes in the House with the original artwork on the disc with the guys in the convertible. And then when you put the Blu-ray in to play it, the title screen is The Dead Come Home. So, so they, they really use all three titles, which... Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. But you had never seen this, right? You said you had never heard of it. Never. I had never seen it, never heard of it. And you know what's funny is I was watching it, and I was feeling this weird sense of, like, familiarity. And I just... I've, I've got to say that I... um One of the first films I did, the director had... Had to, had to, had to have seen this movie because the similarities between this film and a film I did called Elementary and Education and Death, insane, insane. And it, it's down to the moments where they're like pounding on the windows where like the windows are, you know, as we'll get into this, like there are all these tropes, these uh, the kids coming back as ghosts and everything. I highly feel like the director of Elementary and Education and Death ripped off this movie. And I get why, because you know what? The storyline's thin. I don't really know what the fuck happened. I have no idea what the actual solution to what was happening. I have no idea what it was. I have no idea what that old woman's powers were, but it was entertaining as all hell. And uh, as it went on, it got better and better, in my opinion. It's one of those movies, it's a grower. It is a grower. And in a, yeah, I, I feel like the first, you know, the first couple minutes of the movie, maybe the first 15 minutes of the movie, you're like, oh, God, please make these annoying characters stop. Uh. But it, do, it does get better as as the plot progresses and you get past kind of the first initial corny kill scene. It does get better. And then I feel like the film gets very dark and very atmospheric. Uh, I love the location. The house they use mm-hmm. is creepy as fuck. Uh, it looks great. It and it is a very basic plot. It really reminds me of a film we covered oh many moons ago. Now, Evil Laugh, about the group of kids that go to fix up this abandoned house where something horrible had happened years before, and they start getting killed off one by one. Except this has a supernatural twist to it, which I don't know. So yeah, so the film, yeah. I'm, so let's. You want us to talk about it? Or is there anything going on that we want to talk about first? God, you know I'm. I am really, this week, I'm overwhelmed. It's the week before my 35th birthday. I'm having an existential crisis. Everything's crumbling around me, but it's okay. But I've uh, we've kind of entered like a new push with Rebirth because our physical copy is going to be dropping soon. So we have all of this like fresh marketing, which is really great. And I'm really happy for it, but I'm so fucking exhausted. I have uh, never devoted this much of my energy to anything in my life. Uh, So I just... I'm at a point where my brain is in a coma, but my body's still actively moving. Uh, but it's a good place to be. I mean, hey, you know what? At least I have things to look forward to and things to be thankful for. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we Houston Horror Film Festival, we have some great announcements coming for 2022. Uh, we got a new venue that I think people are going to really, uh, really like. 
much bigger. Film submissions, screenplay submissions are going to open up very soon, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, But moreover, I am excited. I leave for a little mini vacation Saturday. Uh, I'm heading to uh, Cancun. You were just there. Not too long ago, yes. so I'm headed there uh, for about five days. So next week's episode, yeah, next week's episode may be a little late. Just letting you know ahead of mm-hmm. time, because unlike Roger, I don't, I'm not going to pack my microphone or anything like that to go. <laughs> You're smart. You're very smart. So we will record when I get back, and you know it'll be good. We'll we'll get caught back up. Um, and then once I get back from then, I have two weeks before moving cross country. So. Yeah, big things ahead, both vacation and relaxation and migration. Uh, It's very exciting. And let me tell you, Cancun, man, that it was a saving grace when I, you know, going there a few weeks ago when I did. And just after all the shit and the nonsense, Mm -hmm. it was necessary. It was needed and I needed to get away. And it really um, it was soothing for the soul. And I know you're going to have a great time, too. And you're going to come back with it. Sun-kissed tan. Ugh, all the boys are going to be all over you. Yeah, we will see. We will see. I'm excited. <laughs> I, I, It's going to be just a, just a little little me time, and yeah. I'm okay with that, you know? It's deserved. So, Daddy needs a break once in a while. Daddy needs a break, yeah. <laughs> but I'm excited. I will be excited to get back to our next episode, which we will talk about at the end of this episode. Yes. Because I know what it's going to be, and it's exciting. It's very exciting, yes. But what about this? We have House on Tombstone Hill, a.k.a. Dead Dudes in the House, a.k.a. The dead come home, and you know what, Roger? I don't even know which one I'm going to use for the title of this episode when I do when I put the episode out. I don't even know what one to use. I, I guess All of them. I thought about well, yeah, I thought about how I, I know right. I thought about House on Tombstone Hill, but I think more people know it as Dead Dude, the Dead Dudes in the House because when I posted, I don't know if you saw, I posted yeah. that I was watching this. I posted the Blu-ray cover art, yeah, and I was actually surprised at how many people commented saying they love this movie. But most of them said dead dudes in the house. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what it's known as. So maybe that's the first one. And I'll do a little AKA house on Tombstone Hill. You know, man, I got to say it. And I know we're going to like, I mean, it's inevitable. We're going to talk about like the awkward promotion of having, you know, three titles. Like, what do you do with that? Um, mm-hmm. But um, that, that poster art for dead dudes in the house, it just after having seen this now and watching this and knowing what it is. It's awful. And like even the description, I read the description and they like refer to them as Hip hop yups. Like, first of all, who is it? What is a hip hop yup to begin with? And second of all, where is the hip hop influence in this film whatsoever? There's none. There's, There's none. none. And that, let's yeah, we'll get it out there right now because that's the biggest issue with this film is whoever came up with that box art for Dead Dudes in the House needs to be shot if they're still alive because it was <laughs> it's ridiculous. It makes zero sense. It's it's like if you've seen it, it's like all of it's like these young yuppie guys wearing these like yuppie clothes in a convertible. And it's that's there. There's nothing like that in the film. Like the people in the in this film are very like rugged. They're wearing like work uniforms. I mean, they're they're ready to go to work on this house. And then it totally ignores the fact that there are females there too. So I don't know. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It's it's completely um uh misinterpreting the product, and it shows like the importance of um representation well cor- yeah correct, correct uh, marketing because yes you look at this you look at the box art and you think you're in, you're going to be in for some like cheesy comedy and the film while it has some maybe i would say maybe unintentional comedic elements uh the film by no means is a comedy at all so shame on you whoever designed that but let's talk about the film let's get into it 
We are the film opens in 1948, which much like Pieces. Remember last week, Peaches, Pieces, Peaches, Peaches, <laughs> Pieces. We're moving to the country, and we're going to get us a lot of pieces. Pieces, <laughs> Pieces opened in the 40s, so I was like, oh, look at the connection there. Um, but it it's this awkward opening. It opens on this young woman's face as she's sipping lemonade, and yes, her mother, this old decrepit lady is walking back and forth with this dead body on the floor. And I think we're led to assume, which we find out that she just killed this person that's on the floor. And there's this weird, like forties, 20 or like twenties music playing like great Gatsby music playing in the background. As this woman just sits there sipping her lemonade, oblivious to the fact that there's a dead body on the floor. So, and the old woman's all like anxious and nervous looking down at the body. It's really, and then it just cuts. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very um it it doesn't give you anything. Like for being an opening scene, you anticipate some like exposition of some sort. And it really like it's just a single shot. It it shows her slurping that lemonade. Um and it it cuts without a piece of dialogue, without anything being said. It it really is like very brief and a very abrupt beginning to the film. Yeah, and once the once the that once she she goes over to the record player and like shuts it off and you get that screeching vinyl noise when like you pull it and you shut a record player off and then it cuts and it says 40 years later and we are introduced to a two carfuls of people yeah. <laughs> uh, who are our i guess our main characters for the journey of the film they show up to this house which i as i mentioned is very creepy looking it, yeah. where, whoever found the location deserves a lot of props because this house does look very um sinister and foreboding yeah, it literally is the only location in the film. It is the only location in the film. Yeah, and oftentimes you'll have a film that that they're restricted to one location. And it can become very repetitive, um, uh, and this movie doesn't manage to to ever feel that way because the the building is so big and vast, and uh, there's so much to it. There's so much character to this location. Yeah, I agree. It never feels like you are like claustrophobic, even though it is like one location. Um, so we get introduced to our characters and we have the character of Mark, who is the one who is apparently buying this house for what reason we, we don't know. We never know. We, we, we at least like an evil laugh. We know that that character was buying the house because they were going to make it into like a, they wanted to make it into a, a nursery or an orphanage or something. This, we don't know why this young, like 22 year old kid is buying this huge decrepit house in the middle of nowhere, but that's Mark. Okay. And then we get his girlfriend who right away is Needs to be slapped. Oh my god, Jamie! This broad Jamie in that damn—is it Janie? Either Jamie. way, I hate her. Jamie with an M. Okay, Jamie is wearing a lesbian <laughs> rugby polo that is clearly made for a man. It is the least. There is nothing sexy about this movie whatsoever. Well, I mean, there's one scene that maybe is like kind of meant to be sexy, but the two focal girls in this, no, are frumpy, frumpy dumplings. They're frumpa-dumps. They dressed them in the most unappealing attire you could ever imagine. But Jamie is just, you know, right away she's just bitching. She gets out of the car, bitch. Oh, it was three hours in this car. Couldn't we have left earlier? Oh, and it's the shrill banshee voice just screaming at Mark. Oh. So that's Mark and Jamie. And then you get um, Bob, who is like mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. quintessential like male mutt. Alcoholic. alcoholic, but also like your 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 macho. Um, you know he's a, he's a carpenter. 
you know, that's that's his trade. He he has all yeah. his tools with him, and he's very proud and protective of his tools. And he's also kind of a dick, um, as we find out. And then we get Ronald, who is just there by himself. You know, he's not attached to anybody. Mm-mm, but he's looking good. Whatever he's doing, he's looking good. That shirt, he's wearing this blue t-shirt and these, like, faded blue jeans. And I swear, every inch of fabric hugs his mm-hmm. felt muscular physique so so well. He looks like he's sculpted from marble. He's such a pretty man. It, he is. And it's just a, it, it's an interesting as we, as the movie progresses, it's very interesting what they do with, with his character because mm-hmm. it's not, it's not expected uh, yeah. because they do, they do go the route of uh, doing something a little bit different with kind of the final survivor, which I appreciated uh, for the most part. And we'll talk about that. I do find the ending a little, eh. but um, so then we get him Ronald and then we get Steve and his girlfriend, Linda, Mm-hmm. And Steve is—he's a pain in my ass. He is a pain in the ass. He's another one of these characters that I'm like. That's what I'm saying. When the film starts and you get introduced to this group, you're like, okay, I don't know if I can sit and watch 120 minutes of these people because I'm already annoyed by them. But again, they're they're growers as well. Uh, this cast, let me say, like for being, they're not really fleshed out per se it's not like you get a ton of backstory on them and a lot of them are kind of annoying at times but as the movie progresses i feel that this cast grows on you and i feel like a lot of them are given moments to shine that even if their characters are annoying they're still human enough that you don't despise them like steve specifically such an obnoxious character has a very cool series of events that happen to him that he actually is great in uh, and you really start to realize like understand who this character is and yeah he's a pain in the ass but like you we all know a steve like that's the thing about these characters we all know a, a bob you know that's the name of the carpenter right is that is it bob bob yeah bob yeah we all know a bob we all know a steve we all know a linda like linda too linda actually has some really redeeming sequences there's one scene in particular where i actually feel very bad for Linda, um, and written to be a likable character. So I, I actually feel that as towards as the movie progressed towards the end of it, the focal group of characters, even though I like disliked how some of them acted, I didn't hate this cast. I really didn't. Problem is, there's a lot, not a lot of depth to the characters. Uh, uh, there, there really isn't. You, right. Like I said, you don't know, you don't know what their backstory is. Um, why are they there helping Mark? Uh, and sometimes it comes off as they're not even like friends. I don't know. It's it's real awkward, but you know, yeah, like you said, they do grow on you. But right away, they find a tombstone in the yard, outside the yard, as they're as they're searching the grounds, and it's it says Abigail Leatherby on it, and of course Bob, being the dick that he is, smashes the tombstone, and right away it cuts to this old, the old woman waking up, like because he smashed her tombstone. That shot of the old woman sitting up into frame, when you really see that makeup clear for the first time, it's rough to look at, man. There's a lot of things to take away from this movie that are good, that I like, but the makeup on the focal villainess would not be one of them. Um, it is played by a man. It is played by a man. It's actually... It's played by Mark. It's played by Mark. I was just going to say, it's played by Mark. <laughs> yes, yeah. um, and I mean, and kudos, kudos, like truly... Uh, cool, but I I think that the the cracks really show for this being like a very low budget indie. I think that is one area where I um you could you could see the the very low budget, and I give them credit for trying to pull it off. 
Um, because she does some physical things. I get why they put a younger person in the role. But God, sometimes that makeup is just hard to look at. And because of that, hard to take seriously. The dubbing as well, the voice as well. That Because uh, the older woman, as we've learned more about her, has a, a voice that is clearly dubbed in. And it is, um, it's very unnatural. It pulls me out of the moment sometimes. Yeah, and, and I, I'm going to say the Blu-ray only intensifies the flaws that the film has in terms of its special effects. Uh, because when I first saw the film, I thought it was actually pretty gory. I remember seeing this film when, I, like I said, I was a teenager, maybe 14, 15 years old, and thinking it was super gory. Uh, which it is, but when you are watching it now in Blu-ray where it's been cleaned up and, 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 and whatnot, you can definitely see a lot of the flaws. And yeah, the old woman's makeup is one of them, but I still find that character rather unsettling and creepy. Yes. And also as the film goes on, I yet again, the, this movie in every aspect, I think, think, I feel it's stronger towards the end than it is in the beginning. Um, and with her and her overall presence and the creepiness factor um, I liked her more towards the end than I did in some of these earlier scenes when I really didn't understand what was going on. So not only do they find a tombstone after and, and Bob breaks it and the, the group yell at him. They're like, hey, you dickhead, why'd you do that? Which is very, they should have yelled at him. I mean, why would you just break a tombstone? But they also find a noose hanging from a tree. Now, I don't know about you, but that should be a red flag. But it's not. It's not. Yeah, I can't find anything... I can't think of anything more foreboding than a random noose hanging ominously from a tree with no explanation. Yeah, it's it is crazy. Uh, And so in the meantime, Bob is whining about beer. He has no beer and he gives one of the characters. um, What's the the guy that goes to get the beer? Joe. It's Joe. Joe. Joseph. Yeah. He gives Joseph money to go get him beer. So that gets Joseph out of the group for a little bit, which comes into play. They can't get the door open uh, initially, which again, all these little things starting to, you know, I'd be like, well, maybe we should just go. This is, there's a noose. There's a tombstone. We can't get the door open. Let's just head back home. But no, they finally get the door open because lovely Ronald is able to wiggle the handle just right. Mm-hmm. I'm <laughs> sure that you can wiggle a lot of things just right. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. Um, I, I just got to say with that whole thing with, with, Joe getting the alcohol. Um, Bob is a barely functioning alcoholic. And you said this, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but you really start to see it around here, this whole sequence of them entering the building. He is borderline abusive toward this group of people. Yeah, he is. And again, that was what my, that was my that was my comment is like don't they don't seem like they were friends. Like who would hang around this guy? Right. He is really, he's, he's really just a dickhead. There is not one time in this film that he is treating any of these people nicely. Yeah. As we see, as we see, they get inside and um, the place is a mess. It's a disaster. It looks like it hasn't been lived in for, for years. And Jamie is still bitching. Jamie is bitching incessantly through this film. She does nothing other than bitch. Because Ronald lights up a cigarette. She's like, do you have to smoke? And he's like, hey, I have to smoke before I I work. And then there is the scene where Steve is just whistling that tune, you know, and Bob goes into a rage. It it really triggers him. (laughs) His reaction is unnatural, uh, probably due to the alcoholism. Um, again, his anger is completely uncalled for. Yeah, he is not happy about 
Steve whistling and uh, Ron tries to confront him about it. And I feel like, I don't know if you got this. There's like some, maybe a little bit of sexual tension between Ron and Bob because those two are going at it through the most of the movie, but it's, it's real awkward and subtle in terms of like the glances they're giving each other and like how they linger on each other's stares when they're, when they're like having these conflicts it's I'm like there what is going on I wish we would have got more with that I, I don't know I felt like something was there that and I don't know if it was there purposely or if it was just something the two actors brought to their performance but I thought there was something there there was something there I don't know I don't know if you caught it or not but I feel like it's one of those things you know all things considered we are a queer horror podcast um, and very often I look for things to make commentary on or things to dissect between male characters that could be kind of queer. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm maybe pushing it or forcing it. This film honestly has some serious homoerotic vibes between several pairings of characters that I wasn't even seeking it out. I just saw certain things happen. And I was like, whoa, that felt really gay. Like, that felt gay. And it, there's several moments that feel very gay. Down to the elderly woman being played by a man in drag. Um, but I, there's somebody involved with this. I, I bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow that, that, that someone involved with this movie was a homosexual man. Because there is gaiety to be seen from the tight shirts, the tight jeans, to the glances the boys are giving each other when they're saving each other's lives. It's just gaiety. Gaiety all over the place. Especially at the end of the film. And we'll talk about that when we get there. I have a lot to say about that. So, yeah. So, and then his then his toolbox randomly falls over and get, causes him to go in another flying rig. He's like screaming at the, what happened? Who Did you see what happened? It's like, dude, your toolbox fell over. That's what happened. Like, why are you like threatening these people about your, t- <laughs> it's ridiculous. Around that point is when I, as one of the friends, would like gather the others and say, guys, it's time we have an intervention with Bob. He is crossing the line. He has anger management <laughs> issues that need to be resolved before this weekend goes any further. Absolutely. Because he is a dickhead. Yeah. He will be the one killing somebody. If- <laughs> it's just, but it's, it's, it's just nonstop. It's just these barrages of him treating these people like shit because right after his uh, toolbox falls over, Ron actually offers to help him pick it up. And he's like, no, stay away. We'll get it later. And then, then that poor frumpy girl, Linda brings this, um, (laughs) brings this tool and she's being very sweet. She's like, Oh, well, where's this plug in at? And he's like, you stupid bitch. It doesn't plug in. It runs on batteries because there's no electricity in here. He just is like, just starts (laughs) verbally assaulting this poor woman holding this drill wanting to know how. And not only that, but he's like, there's no electricity in here. And she's like, yes, there is. There's a light on right there. And like, they like look over and a light is on. It's so like, he's wrong also. So yeah. And does Um, he, does he apologize? No, of course not. Because he's a fucking alcoholic and they never hold themselves accountable. Uh. Um, But yeah, no, everyone is really actually very nice to Bob. There's no reason for him to be such a prick with everybody. Well, no. And uh, as this is happening, as Bob is like going on this tirade toward this poor innocent Linda, he notices he notices the old lady. She has come into the living room on her little cane, and the whole group turns to her and sees her, and they're like, "Ugh!" And 
She is not discreet. She's at not all. discreet, and they are—they <laughs> uh, are understandably, uh, you know, I'd be confused. What is this hundred-year-old woman doing in this old abandoned house that we just bought? And she doesn't say anything. And they're asking her, "What, you know? Hey, can we help you? You're not supposed to be in here." And she's just ignoring them. And again, Bob with his rage. He's like, if she doesn't stop staring at us, I'm going to go over there and smack her. I'm like, really? this Bob, this is a 100-year-old woman. Like, that's your first reaction to this poor woman. Not trying to say, hey, ma'am, are you all right? Did you, you where's your, you know, did you escape a nursing home? What's going on with you? Do you have dementia? <laughs> you know, why are you in this abandoned house? No, its first response is violence. That makes sense. I mean, honestly, he would have been in the right if that were the case, all things considered. But nobody's really going to suspect this old woman of being anything more than what she appears to be. A very very weathered old woman who is also apparently six foot eight uh, because she has to hunch over at all times just to be at the same height of everybody else. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, it's very, I would be far more suspicious. It's very suspect to see this woman in her gingerbread crafting attire uh, <laughs> to be just in the middle of this house. And after she goes, like, they're kind of questioning it, but they're kind of like, man, that was weird. Anyways, let's get back to work. Yeah, they tell her she has to leave, and they they she, she turns and walks away. But, like, it, it's really funny because Mark wants to follow her to make sure she left. This woman is literally walking at a snail's pace, but she somehow has managed to make it upstairs into a different room, uh, like way ahead of Mark, who is a young 22-year-old kid. I, the timing there just, I thought it was funny that she, this old woman, was able to get a kid upstairs to the attic before, before Mark even was able to start walking towards her. I'm like, okay. And at this moment, then, of course, Bob, because he acts like everyone has exasperated him so much, he has to go get fresh air. He's like, oh, you guys have, you guys have, exa- I have to get fresh air. But what happens? None of the doors will open. And we ha- we are then treated to a 20 minute montage of people trying to open the door. <laughs> this, everyone, 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 everyone tries and they try like, it, you go through it, it, you'll like cut away to something and you'll cut back and they'll be like using a bar of wood or they'll like be throwing themselves against it. Like it just keeps going and going and going. No success to no avail. Yeah, this is when editing would have really come into play. We don't need to see every single character trying their tricks to open this door, which obviously is not opening because then it cuts to fucking Bob trying to drill the son of a bitch open and it's still not opening. In the meantime, Jamie... Lovely Jamie in her oversized polo goes upstairs to get Mark, right? And she is exploring these different rooms. And in one bedroom, there is the broken tombstone lying on the bed. How did that get there? I don't know, but very foreboding. But she acts <laughs> very like it's, foreboding. But, no, but she, she just looks at it and acts like it's no big deal. Yeah. And then, obviously, when she goes out into the hallway, there is blood all over the walls leading up to the third floor. So whatever happened to Mark certainly happened rather quickly um, because not much time has passed. And so she follows the blood up to the attic, third floor, and it leads to this room that's locked. So she has to get a piece of wood and bust the door down. This is These are the most physical... Um, characters I've seen in a movie like everybody like without hesitation is willing to like bust a door in like everybody's beating things to get it get through a door or through a window like I will say like everybody in this is a uh, trying 
they're trying. Like, they're they're not incompetent people. This house is just magical. I think that needs to be, like, clarified to the viewers. This house, pretty quick right off the bat, you realize that something's afoot. Like, there's another spell or something going on here. Yeah, think of like, I mean, you're trying to describe this film because it is a slasher film, I would say. Definitely it's a slasher film, but it also has definite Evil Dead vibes and a definite Night of the Demons vibes. Yeah. So so keep that in mind. Yeah, this house is obviously possessed uh, and these this old woman is obviously some sort of paranormal demon thing that has superpowers and can't die. It's very much Night of the Demons. Uh, that's, you know, that's a lot of what this film reminded me of was kind of Night of the Demons, especially with the characters dying and then coming back. But this is the first time that we get uh, some interaction with the old lady. And it's actually pretty creepy because once Jamie gets in the room, she's looking around. She sees this like old, like little Bible she's flipping through. And the old lady appears right behind her holding a knife. And in her old lady voice is like, I know about your boyfriend. And that's exactly what it sounds like, Troy. (laughs) Yeah, I know. He's dead. Yeah. This woman is not holding back. She is straightforward. One of the first things she says is, I've killed somebody. Like, she is not even trying to hide the fact that she's dispatching teenagers left and right. No, she and she has this little giggle after she says everything, too. Where she's like, <laughs> I killed it. And Jamie's like, what the fuck? You're lying. And she's like, no, I'm not. What? Did you see all that blood? That's his blood. <laughs> she finds it hilarious. She loves it. And of course, Jamie's like, I'm going to kill you with this board. <laughs> Jamie's really quick to wield a bar of wood. Um, and she, um, uh, she is a character who starts off very... Very unlikable as, but as, again, as things start to proceed through the course of the film, um, she, I feel she kind of redeems herself, especially after her boyfriend kind of disappears. There's not really a focal girl is the thing, you know, like there's not like a lead girl whatsoever in this movie. You just have Linda and Jamie and neither of them really have like the presence to be the featured female. Um, but once Jamie's kind of past that whole like bitching, complaining phase, I don't mind her as much. Yeah, I agree. I agree. She actually gets out of the room. She goes past the old lady and gets out of the room and she runs into Mark, who is now bloodied, coughing up blood and is being very confrontational to her. And what, what I gathered from this scene, and you probably did too, because I know we're a lot, we, a lot, we, we think a lot, a lot of times is they were really, really trying to recreate the stairway scene from The Shining with Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall. Right down to the dialogue where he's like, what about my responsibilities? And she's swinging this board at him and he's coming towards her. And then there's the whole part where he's like, "Uh, I I can't wait to see what goes on in that brain of yours. I'm going to take that and I'm going to bash your brains in and see. They were really trying to rip off the stairwell scene from The Shining. And it... Doesn't really work because this dude is no Jack Nicholson. No, no, no. And I think, yeah, his his act. I mean, he's he's not bad. But the thing that really I think doesn't work for the specific sequence is out of all the characters, Mark has the least exposition mm-hmm. and the least development. He literally maybe has five lines before we get to this moment. And so for him to suddenly have this big. Uh, brash confrontational moment with his girlfriend. Well, we really haven't had enough development between with him between the two of them to to really um, see the contrast, you know, in his personality. 
Uh, all we really see is that, yeah, he's acting kind of irrational and he's bleeding, but we've spent no time with this guy. We don't care about him. Um, it, it makes sense now knowing that he played, for some strange reason, played the elderly woman. Um, it, I, I see exactly what happened here, and it was they had to basically kill this character off, but in a way that's off camera because you can't have them on camera at the same time, obviously, even though I'm sure that could have been tricked. For whatever reason, they, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't come up with a way to do it. So you have this weird, like, introduction of him as a zombie. But the way that the zombies are portrayed in this, they have personalities, they talk, there's dialogue, they're funny, they're witty. Um, it, it was, if anything, it was, like, a little confusing. It was, it really is a bummer that there's not a strong first kill with this character. Because I think that would have really gelled more and solidified exactly what was going on and why it was impactful you know but after this whole shining mon shining homage if you want to call it that it ends with her doing ex doing exactly what shelly Duvall did to jack nicholson she actually whaps him in the head with the uh with the board as he's trying to grab it and he falls and yeah that's about the end of it that's the last we see of him so i, I i'm assuming her hitting him in the head yeah. with this flimsy board killed him I don't know because then she goes downstairs and um, she well there is a scene where while she's doing that the guys downstairs are like they get the bright idea about well if the doors don't open maybe we should try the windows so they actually start beating on the windows and trying to open the windows and the windows don't open either or won't even break so it becomes apparent that they're trapped in this house and then all of the shutters of the house start flapping like flapping, 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 flip, flapping, flipping, flapping. Um, and then they all shut. <laughs> and you, you know, they're really shut because there's like a dramatic zoom in on several of them where it's like shut and they all close. And like, you know, they're not going to open again for anybody because it's magical. Um, but yeah, like uh, I'm happy. At, we, we get to a certain point where like, you're kind of like, okay, we're past the attempting to escape. You kind of know that you're not going to bust these windows in. So they take a moment before they eventually again start beating on doors and windows because that's a, that's a consistent throughout all of this. But they were really starting to like piss me off with that door and window nonsense. It just kept going and going. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, yeah, it's so long. It's so long. Yeah, so after the 20-minute door pounding scene, Jamie comes back downstairs and... Tells the group that Mark is dead, but she she doesn't seem that upset about it. She's pissed. She's just pissed. And she's like pissed at Mark, which understandable. He tried to kill her, but she's just more annoyed than anything. Yeah, she's like, the old lady says she killed him and he tried to kill me, but he's dead upstairs. So, oh, well. At the same time, because we, we remember uh, Joseph, right? Joseph has come back from this beer run. So apparently he found a convenience store pretty close to this isolated house. He comes back with the beer, but he cannot get into the house. It's all locked up. All the shutters are, are closed, and he is understandably wondering what the hell is going on. In the meantime, the group is inside the house, not knowing that Joseph's outside. And they are... Bob is leading this. Of course, Bob is leading this. He's trying to get them all weapons. And he is just ecstatic about the fact that they are going to be able to bash people's brains in with all of these various weapons. He even makes... Uh, Steve, this handheld, like he takes the saw, the circular saw and puts a handle on. And he's like, yeah, you can fuck somebody up with that motherfucker. Come on. They love that fucking <laughs> saw. That saw is consistent throughout the whole film. If Freddy Krueger has his damn blade gloves, the elderly woman in this movie, 
wields a saw mitt, which is what I've dubbed it, a saw mitt, because they like, it's like on the hand and they like use it to slash at people. It's very weird, but okay, it's fine. And then it cuts back outside to Joseph. He's trying to get inside and he obviously can't. And he's like, you know what? I'm getting the fuck out of here. Uh, I'm leaving. But as he's leaving, one of the upstairs window shutters pop open. And it gets his attention. The window the window actually opens up by itself and the shutters open. I don't know about you, but I would probably still leave <laughs> because that's just odd. Why would the window open by itself? Regardless, he steps off screen and somehow, somewhere gets a ladder. He procures this ladder, this massive ladder out of nowhere. Yeah, it's really out of nowhere. He literally steps off, off screen and then comes back with this massive aluminum ladder that he proceeds to put against the house and climb up the the window as he's climbing we see the old lady has come to the window and she um is watching him come up the the, the ladder and she has a, her handy machete um, a machete so large like uh, this woman apparently takes regular vacations to the tropics or to rainforests or something that re- requires her macheteing through l- great foliage because it is the largest machete I've ever seen in my life. He comes up the ladder. He gets, you know, he puts his hands into the window seal and he's trying to get in and he accidentally kicks the ladder away from the window. So now he's hanging on the window edge, you know, the edge of the window. And the old lady comes to the window and she's just laughing at him. And he's like, can you help me? And she's like, no. She's such a tease, this old broad. What she lacks in like overall, I don't know, effective fear factor, she makes up for with witty sarcasm and humor i mean this dame is cracking jokes it's almost like a freddy krueger like light she's got like little like little jabs at everybody and you wouldn't expect it because she's so old and like arthritic and bent over but she's she's cracking them left and right yeah she's spry he's like are you aren't you gonna help me and she's like no and she proceeds to chop his hands off with said machete <laughs> This is the point in the movie, and I literally noted it. I said, I'm genuinely intrigued now. Because, like, up to this point, like, it's been standard fare. Like, the usual suspects, kids trapped in an abandoned building, the usual scenarios, people go missing, the unusual villainess, I'll give it that, she had my eye, not for all the right reasons, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um... But once we got to this sequence regarding Joe, who I up to this point forgot existed, to be completely honest, I was drawn in. I thought this whole sequence leading up to him climbing up the ladder, the whole thing of him dangling, you can hear the sound of his feet hitting against the side of the, like, of the siding of the house. It's very, like, desperate. And then the effect, honestly, at least when, you know, watched in the, the quality that I watched it, the effect actually looked pretty Fantastic. Now, I can't speak for the updated, higher quality um, re-release that's come out because I wouldn't be shocked. Like you said, that some of these effects don't look as great when they're crystal clear. That doesn't surprise me based off the old face makeup alone. But the sequence itself, I thought was phenomenal. It still looks pretty good. This this, This particular kill still looks pretty good. And it's pretty nasty. I mean, he, after his hands are cut, he falls to the ground and his hands are like still clutched to the end of the windowsill. And she like knocks him down with the machete so that his hand, his severed hands like fall on top of him. 
it's pretty it's a pretty brutal death because then not only is cutting his hands off not good enough she proceeds to find this huge metal pole that is one thing these people in this film can just find these weapons and ladders and everything just willy-nilly they're just everywhere because she has this like huge pole that she actually drops out the window onto him and it impales him through the chest and it again she doesn't just drop it she like full on like vaults oh she does it's (laughs) like uh it's like one of those yeah she vaults it down and it impales him in the chest and there is this really effective shot of him laying there with the um Pull and peel it out of his chest, and it just blood is gushing out of it, and his 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 handless limbs are flapping. It's pretty brutal. I think this is the point where you realize the movie is a, a lot more um, darker uh, than what you would have thought from the first fifteen minutes. Yeah, I I realized after this sequence that this movie had the potential to uh, surprise me. Up up until this point, I was like kind of worried that it was just gonna be. I felt like I had predicted everything I was going to see before it happened. When, when, especially after she knocks his hands off and they drop onto him, I was like, "Oh, this is pretty violent." Like his hands are gushing blood, and and yeah, it just it it made it clear to me that this movie was capable of more, and capable of more it certainly is because it just continues to surprise me. Yeah, because after this, after after this particular death scene, and the, yeah, obviously the the other the people in the house, the group does not know that Steve was just brutally murdered. Um, they actually, with their weapons in hand, they go looking for the old lady because Jamie has told the group the old lady has killed um, killed Mark, and she's gonna you know kill us if we don't go find her. So they actually go all looking for her with with all their weapons. They go upstairs and are like examining the different rooms, the different bedrooms upstairs, and Steve who who has become basically a worthless, just as cowering back. He's not helping anything. He's really just pathetic. He is like not going into any of the rooms with them. He's like, you know, being all scared and, and obviously, okay, whatever, but it's pretty pathetic because then they go into this bedroom and he actually gets locked out of the room. So he gets separated from the group. He's in the hallway. They're locked in this bedroom and they are basically telling him to go find the old lady to kill her. And he is just a bumbling mess of a person that is not going to take charge to go kill anybody because he can hardly control himself. He is just shivering and shuddering. And and then the old lady shows up. And she's beckoning him. She's like, come with me. And he's like, guys, she's telling me to go with her. And they're like, go. And he's like, absolutely fucking not. And I love it because... While all this is happening, Jamie's like, kill her! Like she's, she's just screaming for him to like murder this old woman. Uh, this, this is when she starts winning me over. I'll be real. Jamie is speaking my language. But um, I got to say, this sequence, I don't know what it is about it. I don't know if it's maybe the way that they separated. They started separating the characters through this like supernatural energy in the house. I love this whole sequence. I think Steve's character, even though, like I said before, we all know a Steve. That bumbling, fumbling, uncomfortable, like, spoiled white boy, like, he plays it very well. The actor in this role, this is, I would say, his strongest moment. And, like, when he keeps looking back, he's like, um, she's there and she's watching me. And, like, I believe him. And it is very actually creepy. The old woman's just in the shadows waiting. Like, it's it's a creepy sequence. It's simple, 
the kids are trapped in the room. He's all by himself. He has no other fucking choice but to go follow her. And it's just a very well executed sequence, I think. It is. He tell she tells him it's your turn. Come on. Come with me. And he does. He does. I don't know that I would have. <laughs> but I mean, what else are you going to do? You're separated from your friends. You, you you don't know. But at this point, you have to know that something's up with this old lady. I just would not be as gung ho of going with her as he was. But he does. And in fact, he reminds me, I just want to sidetrack here, because for a second, I thought it could have been the same actor. He reminds me so much of a a character in um, The Mutilator, Ralph. Remember, have you seen The Mutilator? I've not. You're going to be so mad at me. Okay. Well, those of you who have seen The Mutilator, uh, Ralph, the character of Ralph, this character of, um, what's his name? Steve. (laughs) Steve (laughs) reminds me, reminds me of, of, Ralph and the Mutilator. Uh, Look-wise, everything. I, again, I was like, could this be the same actor? It's not, but very similar. Sorry. Just that's what I was thinking when I was watching this movie. Anyways, so Steve goes downstairs with the old lady. And on the way there, he runs into Joseph, who now has his hands attached. But there's there's wounds. There's like full cuts around them. There's wounds, but they're, they're attached now. And then he still ha- he has the pole through him. And he is just acting like nothing's nothing's wrong. He is like, hey, she's going to get you. And he pulls out the, the pole and basically tells Joe or tells Steve to go to his fate. And he's not very um, he's not very shy about telling him it's going to hurt like hell. So go in there. It's your turn. Yeah, I really um, I was not like necessarily charmed or impressed with the first zombie reveal, uh, which Mark. Um, and as we, we discussed earlier, you know, I, th- I thought the whole way they introduced the zombie aspect was lackluster. This sequence, when I said that I like the sequence of events, I like the whole thing leading up to what happens with Steve. This conversation, I love. I love that the approach that they take with these zombies, as because the you know as people are dying, they're coming back. You see them again, and they still have aspects of their personalities, but they're evil. But they also have like their vices too. Like they 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 are you know their their quirks, all their little elements of make like even you know obviously what happens with Steve. Well, you, you see Steve as a zombie, and he very much has Steve's personality, but a dark version of it. And you see that with all the characters, and the way Joe play Joseph plays his character. As a zombie, I thought this scene was great. I love the sense of humor. I love like the dark, cruel sense of humor. I think most of the actors in this movie are far more likable as dead people um, because they get to have some fun with it. You can tell these actors are having fun with it. And this sequence really just like got me jazzed because I was like, obviously, we know what's going to happen. Steve is next to go and it's going to be bad and it is going to hurt. And it got me so excited for the next moment. And, and it doesn't disappoint. It doesn't disappoint because after after Joseph basically ushers Steve off to his fate, what happens is the old lady shows up and she's coming towards him slowly and he has that circular saw thing and he's like not really doing much. He's not really trying to defend himself. He's just like, stay away from me. Stay away from me. I don't want to hurt you, but I will if you come closer. Just stay. It was, you know, at that point, I'd be, ba- I'd be hitting the bitch in the head with this thing, and he, he's not. He, yeah, he's back and away, and then he trips and falls, and the, like instantaneous, she is on top of him. H- how she became so quick? She just jumps on him, and she l- impales his limbs, both his hands and both his legs, to the floor with knives. Just whoosh, 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 whoosh. And it looks like it hurts, especially the one through the leg. 
And he is just screaming, like he is selling oh my the pain God. on this. Yeah. He is screaming bloody murder. It's it's pretty effective and pretty like painful to watch because the actor is selling it big time. Oh yeah, absolutely. And one thing I really like about the kills, about a lot of the kills that you see on camera is they let them breathe. Like some of these kills are very like drawn out moments. Like it, it, there's not a lot of cutaway. And you, I, what I will say though, what what almost is a, a, the downside is the moments the characters they choose to have their kills or their reveals off camera because there are two specific characters I'm thinking of. Uh, it really makes for a letdown because when you see what they're capable of doing with some of these kills, even as a low budget movie, even if the effects aren't always the nail on the head. The execution of it and the pacing of it is really phenomenal. And this whole sequence, like I said, the whole thing from the hallway to the coming downstairs, the moment with Joe, it completely pays off. uh, Like you said, the actor that plays Steve is selling the moment and the buildup to this is gnarly. It's so gross. The one thing that leaves a bad taste in my mouth and I really hate and I, ugh, the, the, the dubbing, I hate, I hate the giggles and the mumbles and the audio of the old woman. Because she's always like, she's like a chipmunk. She's like, and it drives me fucking crazy cuckoo bananas because it's so like separate from what's going on. It does not sound authentic at all. So that really like, uh, I, I have to watch it with like earmuffs at times because i can't stand listening to her but the sequencing itself phenomenal it's great there is just a little bit of disjointedness i think with the film because there are moments where this old lady seems to be like have this have strength and have you know and it basically is like a super villain she can just get in there and just move quickly and move stealthily and jump on him and be have him pinned to the floor within a matter of seconds but then most of the film she is literally hunched over Barely can walk with this cane. So it's 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 weird that if they were going to make her this stealth, you know, character, they should have just did it throughout the whole film. Because it really doesn't play well where yeah. one scene she can barely walk and is like stumbling with her cane and hunched over. And then the next she has these superpowers where she's like literally kicking two guys' asses at the same time and it's not even phasing her. It's a little bit, like I said, it's a little jarring. But I mean, that's a minor yeah. complaint, I guess. Yeah. I think that's where, like, the indie shows is in the storytelling um, and, and the continuity of certain things. Like like what you just said, I think that's where, for all of, like, its charm and its um, areas that impressed me, there's also things where I was like, ooh, that seemed like a really, like, a poor choice or almost like an amateur mistake. I'm really confused why they would make this choice. Why would they choose to not explain this? You know, as we will get into more as the movie progresses. Yeah, because the old lady, and again, this death lingers quite a bit. You're right. This lingers quite a bit. We get a lot, we get a lot of time spent with Steve as he is impaled on the floor. And his fate is learned because the old lady appears with a circular saw and comes towards him with it. And then it cuts and we cut, we cut to the group in the bedroom and they just hear him screaming, screaming in pain. And we know what's happening. They, they kind of don't. Once he's dead, the door opens to the room and they're able to run downstairs, but his body's gone and all they find is the dining room where he was at just covered in blood. Blood one end of the room to the other. It's just a bloody mess. Now, this is where, I don't know, I was really curious about what you thought about this because this is the point where the film cuts and we are introduced to two new characters. Ugh. 
Yeah, we've had this happen before, and we've talked about this before. We had this happen with demons. Um, remember where demons halfway through cuts and you're introduced to these like punk rock characters. I would say the two, the two characters that we're introduced to in this film are by no means as annoying as those, but it's always a questionable thing when a film thinks halfway through that we have to be introduced to characters that really have no connection to us thus far in the film really have no backstory. We really don't care about them. We've spent the half the movie caring about these characters kids that are in this house why do we need two new ones to come in when ultimately they don't really do anything well one of them does sort of but right anyways it's two young kids i'm imagining they're supposed to be like young teenagers right yeah i i like the shot the shot is just a static shot of the silhouettes of them against the the dark sky and you just hear one say hey let's go to the leatherby house and the other one's like, no, I don't want to go to that house. It's haunted. I've heard stories. And basically the other one pressures his pressures him into going to the house. And he's like, if you were a friend, you would come with me to this house. So I like the shot, but I don't know about this whole thing with these two boys, especially the one. Yeah. The one that's in the the one that's in the football jersey. I yeah. My big question, and I get like when I was saying like some of the things that feel like a little amateur mistakes. This is one of them. And and my my big thing is the cast isn't so overwhelmingly large that you couldn't have just included these additional characters within the group. Because I see the purpose of having two characters that break off and are separate from the others and don't know what's going on. You know, I there's they could have easily adjusted the storyline just to have had two characters kind of going off and doing their own thing. We're just not aware of 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 the plot developments up to this point. But um, what they do, like I think, what they do that shoots them in the foot is that they introduce these two characters, and it's exactly what you said. At this point, I'm starting to care about the cast, and now you introduce these two other characters with no backstory expo- exposition. We have no understanding of who they are. They're just two random kids, two random boys who are just breaking in for shits and giggles, and it's just automatically they feel unnecessary, and they feel like secondary. And if you have secondary characters, do I, I mean, why do I want to, at this point in the movie, why do I want to see other characters get layered in who are going to make it, you know, further than the predominant characters, when I care about those other characters so much more. These these kids have nothing going for them. There's no aspects that really tie them to the story that makes them important. Um, they're just kind of randoms. And it really kind of, it does take away from it for me. It gave me the exact same vibe as what you said about demons, uh, completely on the same page. Yeah, and it really doesn't help that one of them is a horrible actor. But we'll get to that. Uh, so as the boys head off to the Leatherby house, uh, the group now is in the basement. And this is this is what we talked about at the beginning of the episode. I do like the, the their use of this house. They they really make it seem much larger than what it probably is because they are there are sequences that take place in all of the different areas of the house. So it's not like stuck in, in one specific location. So now they're in the basement trying to find a way out. And Linda comes across a newspaper article about something that had happened in the house. And this is where, this is about the only point that we get any sort of backstory or exposition. And it's still not enough to explain everything that's going on. But apparently the old lady... Someone years ago had broken into her house and stabbed her 37 times. 
11 times in the neck. They make that clear. And she lived, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you'd live being stabbed in the neck 11 times and then... That person had really bad aim. They must have have been like... It must have been... They must have stabbed her with a safety pin? I I don't know. But then after she gets home from the hospital, her neighbor had come over to give her well wishes and she ends up stabbing him 37 times and 11 times in the neck. So that was our opening scene, right? That's what our opening scene was. And four days later, she dies of a heart attack. And the daughter then digs her mother's body up and buries it in the yard, hence the tombstone in the, at the beginning. And then she hangs herself from a tree, hence the noose in the beginning of the film. However, I would feel like if someone hung themselves and the police and the ambulance had to come and get the body down, they're not just going to leave the noose hanging there. But they do, apparently. But this does but this has nothing this does not explain any of the supernatural elements that run through this film at all. No, and um I have a huge issue with that, I'll be honest. Like this there's a few things about this scene that piss me off. First of all, I didn't dislike Linda. I was really thinking, oh, they're starting to give me some maybe like focal girl, potential final girl vibes. She's giving us the narration. She's giving us the backstory. She's not that bad of an actress. I like her. I mean, I don't like her bangs, but I like her. So yeah, second of all, the story, absurd. And we've heard plenty of absurd stories as explaining the who's, what's, and why's of the events that are transpiring in a horror movie. But this one, it's too convoluted. I mean, I'm sorry. It's it's a lot of nonsense. On top it off, not not to spoil things for our listeners, but it's never addressed again. That's all we're given. We're not given anything more. No. It's no longer a matter, a topic of discussion. The 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 the, the backstory of how things are happening and why, like you said, they're supernatural, they don't even touch on it. They feel they don't need to. And I'm sorry, based off the events that do transpire in this film, it severely requires some heavy explanations. I would think so. And and because I truly believe that this film was trying to homage The Evil Dead and Night of the Demons, those films do give you sort of a backstory or at least an explanation of why things are happening. Uh, and the fact that this one just totally ignored even t- attempting to doing that, of doing that and just giving us some story about an old lady being attacked and then killing her neighbor. How does that explain the fact that she's of what's going on, that people are turning into zombies and these characters are still living in this house that apparently haven't aged because in the next scene, we see her daughter is still in this house. Apparently that has, she she hasn't aged a bit. So are these ghosts or what's going on? It's not explained. I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, this film is still fun, but I think, yeah, Kind of lazy. I mean, oh yeah, that's a good word. And we're not—we ain't watching this film for the storytelling. Let me tell you, listeners, this movie is not going to give you some groundbreaking script, no, or something you haven't seen before. What it's going to do is it's going to keep you very entertained. But if you're somebody who gets like pissed off or annoyed by like thin plots and irrational storylines, then this may not be the movie for you because. What you said about the, the the daughter is something like we're about to get into that, but I have a huge issue with an element of that as well, and we'll touch on it. Yeah. So after they um after they 
tell the story. Again, there's no follow-up because it just cuts. It cuts away from that scene to the boys now outside the house trying to get in through the basement, the cellar doors. And the one boy is like, oh, well, you, we, we need to break this lock. And the other kid t- takes his, he's carrying this pole the whole fucking movie. He bashes the um, lock with the pole and opens the lock and opens the basement door. And uh, the kid is like, why am I even friends with you? And I'm like, dude, yes. Why are you friends with this fucking nitwit? Because already he's been in the movie 30 seconds and I fucking hate him. He's like, oh, because I'm a great guy. No, you're fucking not. You're a horrible little shit that it basically is getting your friend murdered. Okay. So they go into the basement and they're not, now they're in the house. Um, the group now, not because now, see, now we have to keep cutting back between what these boys are doing, which I really don't care about and what the main group is doing, which I do care about. So it does lose some of its pacing or right you know what i'm saying i it loses some steam in those moments and the movie is kind of it was really starting to pick up for a minute there and then all of a sudden yeah you get these two random characters that just do not excite me so uh i'm on the exact same page with this as well so as the group is running around trying to find a way out this is when we see linda she's at the end of the group when they're running down the hallway and she happens to peek into a bedroom and she sees steven steven and he is on the bed all crunched up and he is hurt. She's like, Stephen, what's the matter? And he's like, oh, I'm hurt real bad. The, the old lady hurt me really bad. And she's like, well, come out into the hallway. And he's like, no, I can't get up. You need to come in here. And of course, in stupid slasher movie fashion, she does. Knowing everything that's happened, she is trusting that this is Steve. And she goes into the bedroom And right away, I would look at him and I would turn around and walk out because there's no way this dude is alive, girl. He is covered in blood. He has literally holes in his chest. His face and neck are sawed. And she's like, oh, I'm so glad you're okay." I'm like, bitch, look at him. He is not okay. What are you, are you fucking, and he's pale, like, you, <laughs> I'm like, bitch. Yes, it's very clear that he is, he is deceased. And she's like, oh, it's so, you look so good, I'm so glad you're okay. <laughs> oh, my God, Jesus, Linda, Linda, you were winning me over there for a minute, come on. But I will say what they do with this whole sequence, and here's one thing that I started to notice, is some of the death sequences in this, because they are drawn out. You get some of the better acting from from the talent, and you also get like some of the most like human moments because of how it's structured with these zombies having personalities, the conversation and the dialogue. This scene with Linda is actually very sad. It is like sad. she is like portrayed to be a great girlfriend who he even says he's like, just hold me. And she does. And and he's obviously manipulating her. But he's telling her how great of a girlfriend she's been to him. Like this is some this is some deep dialogue for this that wasn't necessary. But I'm glad they threw it in there because it does give it a, a, a warmth and a depth and a sadness. Because what he's telling her is, "You have always been so good to me. You are a wonderful girlfriend. You 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 always will do anything for me. And I just need you to hold me one more time. You know, I just want you to hold me." And she does. And I would. I mean, he's being sweet. And what does he fucking do? He takes that fucking circular saw blade and and stabs her with it in the back, 
brutally. And she has a very dramatic drop to the ground. You instantly know she's dead. It's a very, like we said, the last the last death you saw on camera was really drawn out. A lot of these sequences where you have moments between characters and the, the zombies, uh, they draw it out, which I think really enhances the moment. It adds to it. It adds to the overall kill. Um, and yeah, like this is a very sad kill. I was really thinking for a moment that Linda was going to be stepping it up to the plate because I liked her, and I was bummed. I was genuinely bummed when she uh, when she bit the dust. Yeah, yeah, and she does it at the hands of this her boyfriend who, you know, yeah, manipulated her as a zombie. Uh, the rest of the group have now found an open window that they think they can escape from, so they run back to get Linda. But now she is in the room with her back turned to them, and they are telling her, "Hey, let's go," and she's like, "Oh." I don't know. I want to stay here. And they realize that obviously now her hair is out of a ponytail. It's all like covering her face. Pretty effective because through the whole film, her hair has been in this tight ponytail. And now it's all it's out of the ponytail. It's like surrounding her face. There's blood all over her face. It's a pretty effective shot because you just see her face and the group behind her. And she just has this like smirk on her face. You know, she's you know, she's we know she's dead. They don't. But once she says that she just wants to stay there, they kind of realize she is dead. So Bob beats the sh- beats her to death with a golf club. Yeah, it doesn't take a lot for Bob to be like, "All right, I'm swinging," because like they literally have like a little bit of banter. There's maybe like four lines back and forth, and she's like, "I think I want to stay here." And Bob's like, "Fuck it," and he just swings at her head. She drops, and they just take off. Like poor Linda. And one thing that I, I one thing that also bums me out about this, and it's. I think it's just because they do the zombies well in this. I like the take. You have maybe like one moment with a majority of the zombies have like one key moment and then they're gone. And I would have loved to have seen some of them come back a few times, maybe multiple zombies at once, you know, things like that. You only get little bits of them here and there. And I I would have loved more of some of these characters. Yeah. Uh, The ending of this film, I would say the last, and we're getting there, we're getting there. The ending of this film, the last maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 15, become very repetitive. It's very much the same thing over and over again with no variety. And we'll get there. Now we cut to, um, oh, wait, no, they go back to the window. The group goes back to the window and it's wide open and they they throw a rope out and Bob is going to climb out the window. So he is halfway out the window. This film loves its window deaths because as he's hanging, his he's halfway out, halfway in the window. We hear like this creaking sound and Jamie looks up and she sees that the window glass has like basically come out of the sill and is like all jagged and she's like oh my god get him out of the window and before they can get him out of the window the fucking windowsill drops on him and cuts him basically in half it goes up and down multiple times cutting him in half he is screaming bloody murder saying like just shit like this sucks i hate this uh and to the point where his the bottom half of his body (laughs) basically disconnects from the rest and falls to the ground below. And it's a pretty gory graphic death. This one's pretty brutal. And even on the Blu-ray, it still looks pretty good. There's intestines and he is, again, these actors, you can tell these actors are having a great time during these death scenes because again, he's another one that's selling it like screaming shit that I would think you'd probably would be screaming when you were being sawed in half by a fucking glass pane. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoy this kill. I will say it is bordering on humorous, 
because of the the dialogue and everything, but it's still a really well-executed kill. The movie itself, I mean, it has a few moments that are kind of like dark humor, but this, I'll say this is the scene that if any of anything of this felt kind of, kind of trauma to me, it was this moment. This was the one thing that made me think, oh, this is a trauma movie. Because other than that, this movie doesn't have a lot of trauma-isms to it. There's no nudity really i mean there's uh there's no um like you know absurdism in the sense of like uh, really graphic sexual anything or absurd stupid characters or i mean these it's pretty downplayed aside from the old woman a lot of these characters feel like real teens or real 20 somethings um so when this happened it, it did feel very like evil dead almost to a certain extent with the window just going up and down and up and down it's a great kill but it did feel a little almost out of place to me if that makes sense i get it i get it and yeah this is a trauma film and i told you it's a trauma film but i told you it's not your typical trauma film and it really is interesting that trauma picked this film up to distribute because it is so the antithesis of what they usually put out like you said there's no nudity there's no real absurdity it's pretty straightforward it's pretty dark uh and we are used to their stuff being the complete opposite absurd uh silly goofy and this one is is probably their most straightforward you know um serious film and i appreciate that but yeah so Mm -hmm. this 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 kill is probably yeah it's probably the most memorable of the film but also like you said it kind of is kind of teeters on absurdity and humor that the rest of the film really didn't have okay so after this glorious death now we have to cut back to these two other these two random boys and they don't even give them name well yeah one of them has a name rick and i don't know what the other one is eddie they never say it isn't the other one's name eddie I know Rick is the one that gets killed here in this scene. Boring. Boring, boring, boring. Yeah, so the other one is Eddie. I swear I heard the name Eddie. So we're just going to say Eddie. I don't think they gave him a name, but we'll go with Eddie. And it's really interesting that they don't give him a name because he becomes a very sort of prominent character, which is also odd. But these two random boys go into the bedroom now where the daughter is. Now, so now all of a sudden the daughter is here and she looks as young and glorious as she did in the 1948 opening scene. She hasn't aged a bit and she's in her bra and panties and she's like, oh, you guys are watching me. You might as well come in. So they are more than happy to come in. And they are questioning it. Well, the one is questioning her about like, why are you in this house? Like, why are you like getting naked in this house? And she's like, well, I always get naked before I go to bed. And they're like, uh, where are you going to bed at? And she's like, this is my bedroom. And the one just giggling. He's as giddy as a fucking horse because she's, she's going to take off her bra. And it's a very like drawn out scene where she's unbuckling her bra. And he is just giggling his big toothy ass, ugly ass grin. But then the mother shows up and, okay, she scratches him in the face and he dies. Am I right? Aside from the fact that she really doesn't do anything to kill this kid. I mean, honestly, you're, you're right. Like, it's literally like, poof, magic. He's a zombie. Um, I have a huge issue with the whole structure of this scene to begin with. Um, and because, you know, and not to like break our continuity with telling things in order, but the... I could have completely done without these boys, and I could have completely done without, honestly, the daughter. I mean, if there's anything that chafes my balls about this movie, aside from the the kids, the two kids who get randomly introduced, it's this whole random 
reintroduction of this blonde who you see sipping that lemonade in the opening scene. And she's very prominent. She's the first thing you see. And then you see the sequence of her being like a seductress and luring the boys into the house. Um, and then after the scene, you never see nor hear from her again. She plays no factor into the film. It is not explained how she's preserved in youth and beauty. It's not explained how she has a very 1980s hairstyle, nonetheless. And it's not explained what really, like, what her purpose even is. How she plays factor. Like, okay, I understand. Apparently she hung herself. Well, I'm sorry. She doesn't even seem like the kind of dame who'd be hanging herself after her very elderly mother was killed. Um, and the, this, you're telling me that this blonde dug up her mother's, her elderly mother's body and buried it in the backyard. Like, that's all a lot of nonsense and bullshit. And I don't buy it. I don't believe it. And now that I'm seeing her here, like, I just, I don't even care. And then you're not going to bring her back into the story. What the fuck are you doing? Who's, who's the writing this nonsense? It was really honestly, like, my least favorite aspect of the movie is this whole thing with her. Well... The problem is, and I said it and I'll say it again, lazy writing, because there is nothing to indicate that this mother and daughter, and it really to me seems like this is like great grandmother and great granddaughter, not mother and daughter, because this this daughter looks like she's about 20 and this elderly lady is like 130 looking. So that right there is a problem. But the problem is there's nothing in this film, not even the opening scene because there's no dialogue between the two of them that let us know that there's any sort of loving relationship between these two characters to the point where this daughter would be so distraught that her mother died of a heart attack that then she would go dig her up, which again, I don't buy because this woman is very classy, pristine. She's not going to be go. She's not going to be going and digging in the dirt and then hang herself that there's nothing that gives us that indication. And it is bullshit. We're on a, tangent here that she does not show up the rest of the film because there's plenty of opportunity and it would actually make sense in the last five minutes of the film if this bitch showed up with like a fucking axe or something to to help help her mother that she supposedly loves so fucking much that she hung herself for but does she no so yeah right i I get it i get it yeah well and even like and i also want to even say like the way they played the character like she seems cold and kind of aloof and like I don't know I'm reaching out and grabbing for something like maybe these people have magical powers like I don't know but like I don't even believe that they're like kind of what you said working in cahoots like as a as like a duo you never see them together do anything you don't see them plotting together no. you don't see them uh in any way interacting other than the one scene with the body which is very uncomfortable and just dis- like disjointed from the rest of the movie so for her to be reintroduced as this kind of specter or whatever she is maybe she's preserved in youth i don't know because the zombies lives are going to her i'm again pull it up and just pulling at something, hoping I'm grabbing something that sounds like a semblance of a story. Um, it, it did not in any way translate it onto screen. So whatever the, the the filmmaker's vision was with this, you're right. Lazy, 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 sloppy babies. Because if there is a story in there that we're supposed to be picking up on, sometimes you as the viewer can gather it for yourself without getting it spoon-fed to you. This is an example of it just absolutely being lost in translation i have no idea what she's doing there yeah i agree i have it was unnecessary and then rick and the only reason i know his name is rick because he stands up all of a sudden and the other kid is like rick you're alive 
And then this fucking kid who can't act his way out of a paper bag is like, no, I'm dead. Take a look and dramatically twists his head to reveal nothing. Like, <laughs> I didn't see anything. Did you? I mean, I saw a speckle of blood. Uh, I, he's like, I'm dead. Take a look. And uh, what am I looking at? You have a literally a smear of blood on your cheek. What am I supposed to be looking at? That's showing you're dead. Okay, whatever, Rick. Rick then leaves the room with the blonde daughter. So are we assuming they go to fuck? And guess who, have, who, guess who else never shows up the rest of the film? Rick. <laughs> so apparently... They're, they're gone and they're just never seen again. Apparently they went upstairs to fuck. She's going to fuck this 15-year-old boy. Okay. It's odd. It's odd. So... The other boy, again, I don't know what his name is. We'll call him Eddie. He runs downstairs and is like pounding on the front door. Upstairs, Ronald hears this and runs downstairs and like they get into this confrontation and this kid, like he grabs him. He's like, who the fuck are you? And the kid is like, no, please don't kill me. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. And I want to point out that in that moment when quote unquote Eddie, because I'm not even confident his name is Eddie. It's a, it's a name. Um, It's a name and we're just going to appoint it to him. Um, The elder woman whose name is mentioned by the way but i just call her elder woman it's abigail Uh, yeah so abigail lets her daughter her apparent daughter or so we're told and ricky leave the room and then she like sits down and she just allows quote-unquote eddie to leave like he just kind of goes like she doesn't attack him she doesn't pursue him there's something kind of alluded to the idea that there's an order of people dying like what she says to steve you're next but like she doesn't even try to do anything. She kind of just lets him go off and run off, which leads into this moment with this confrontation with sexy, sexy Ron with his big old biceps. So just want to bite into him. Yeah. And Ron is becoming kind of an endearing character. Uh, again, he's under he's underdeveloped even as the as he's becoming sort of the what do you want to say? The lead character. I still think there's a lot of his personality in the in the characterization that's not fully um, developed. So it's really hard to form a connection with this character because we're not really given any sort of personality traits that he possesses. And it's interesting because even though he is like this in real life, I mean, the actor is this really buff looking, you know, dude that's in shape. He really doesn't fight back as effectively as I was expecting. And we'll get there. But as he's confronting this Eddie at the front door, he hears uh, Jamie scream upstairs. So he runs back upstairs and she is like now sitting in this room and he's like, oh, are you okay? And she's like, oh, I'm fine. The old lady was in here, but she let, she, she let me go. She let me, she let me be and she left. But in the meantime, we see from the back angle that she has scissors impaled in her back and he is leading her out and she's like, you lead the way. And so they're going down the hallway and she is like pulling the scissors out of her back and, and. Every time she does it, she moans. She's like, oh, it sounds like she's having an orgasm, honestly. She's like, oh, oh. And he's like, are you okay? And she's like, I'm fine. (laughs) And she gets him out and she's ready to stab him. And all of a sudden the kid jumps out with a pipe and bashes her in the head. But then Ron like attacks the kid and the kid's like, no, she was trying to kill you. Like, look, look at the scissors, look at the blood. And, um, Super Jamie attacks him again and she's like putting up a good fight and they're like beating her with this board and like she's kicking them and punching them and there's like you get the whole fake punch stuff that's very obviously they are fake punching and you can completely tell like his fist doesn't even come in towards her like anywhere near her face and she's like oh, 
flipping her head back. <laughs> You're like, that didn't even kind of- <laughs> we've we've been in several of those fights on sets before and they never really quit quite hit as hard as you want them to but uh there's a few fights in this movie too like they they kind of go heavy with like the the theatrical fighting and it never really translates very well there's one little earlier with um the older woman that that was really weak too um, any of the fight sequences with the old woman and the, and the teens kind of read as just awkward and disjointed. The word disjointed is getting used all over the place today. And I think that's the word of the day. This movie is very disjointed. And this scene right here, this whole thing with Jamie, first of all, she's clearly a zombie. Like these kids don't know how to tell a zombie from a human. She's milk white. She's being very like obvious about like her her dialogue she's like faking like she's pretending to be really sweet well jamie's never been sweet jamie's a fucking bitch so the fact that jamie is being nice in general is already suspect but um (laughs) i i feel like they make the choice with a few of the characters kills to they're kind of trying to like have the audience like play with their imagination and like guess if the person is killed or i don't know like they're trying to do something for the sake of the story like Added, added like a mystery factor, I think. Like, kind of, they did the same thing with Mark when she went to go look for Mark. Like, what happened to Mark? But honestly, I just want another great kill. Because this movie, like, shines when it comes to these well-executed kill sequences. And every time they opt to give a character, like, one of these, like, off-screen moments, which then reveals them to be a zombie, it is depriving me of a great kill. And it's honestly kind of just, like, it feels like, a deflated balloon like it could have been something way better than what it was yeah yeah and the problem is this the film now becomes very repetitive it, it basically is just one fight scene after another with the the zombies so basically jamie attacks them she's getting ready to stab uh ronald and the kid beats her to death with a board and now see ronald would be dead Ronald would be dead if it wasn't for this kid. And that's what I'm saying. Like this kid is literally what, 15 years old. And he basically is the one that is saving the day. Ron would be dead. They're defending each other, each other like lovers. This is where that gay, like when we said like that homoerotic vibe kind of comes into play. Like they are fighting for one another as though they it's are lovers. It's very because there are scenes where they are sitting together, like l- literally like next, right next to each other. Like the scene after this, they go into the bedroom and they're barricaded in the bedroom and they're sitting really close to each other. And they're just like looking at each other. They're not saying anything to each other, but they're like looking at each other lovingly. And I'm thinking, what mm-hmm. what is the deal? Because this, first of all, I mean, Ron is hot. Okay, yeah. But this kid is like 16. So yes. it's kind of really weird. And are we supposed are we supposed to like get that vibe because it just Oh, it gives definite twink. It just gets stronger. It just gets stronger. As the film reaches its the end, the bond between these two characters just gets more intense and way more protective. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, especially because like one thing I also acknowledge is they've just dispatched of Jamie. And at this point, the two female, like focal female characters, Jamie and Linda are dead, are zombies, and they never come back into play again. Like after Jamie is disposed of, we don't see anything of the of the girls. Other than, I mean, there's the old woman played by a man in drag, lest we forget. 
the girls are, are gone. So all you have left is two final boys up against an array of dead men. And it, the, 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 the feminine energy that you often kind of expect with a final girl or at least with the, with a horror movie, um, there's always at least one female character that is kind of like the prominent, redeeming, make-it-to-the-end kind of personality. You get none of that. And it's just these men, and it is very, very homoerotic. And not because I want, to, want it to be so. It really felt that way. Like, it is more so than a lot of the really gay movies that we've watched. It's very protective. It really does almost have like a, a like, I feel like at certain points we're going into like a twink big brother porn. Like, it, it has almost like a porn feel to it in some ways. It's weird. Um, and the scene that you're talking about in the bedroom... The one character starts, like, nodding off and falling asleep. And that's where I thought he said, Eddie, Eddie. I thought he was, like, saying his name to keep him awake. And I really swore I... But the audio... Another thing to say about about um, Troma's app, the video quality sucks. The audio is worse. So I could have very well just heard anything and be wrong. See, I don't, I'd never heard a name mentioned at all. Uh, never heard a name mentioned. And it, it, how would he know his name? Like it, there was, there's really not a lot of dialogue between these two characters for them to form like this instant connection with each other that they seem to have. And we do got to give the film props for having two final boys. You know, final boys in horror films are rare. You can count on yeah. probably two hands the number of films that have a final boy teacher shortage. But this one has... Too. So it's it's really interesting that they went that route. And I mean, I could see the whole then you know the title "Dead Dudes in the House" because at the end of the film, it really is the the men, the the guys that become the the focus. Uh, so I mean, in, in that sense, I sort of get the title, but it's still really stupid. <laughs> so now it's Steve's turn to have his little converse confrontation with the with the two guys, the final guys that are left, because he's sharpening his little fucking circular saw blade he's whistling his tune and he finds them in the room and like breaks down the door but in the meantime is like taunting ron calling him like a wussy open the door you wussy come on come on and i'm thinking steve you were like the wussiest character in this entire film so you have no business calling anybody else a wussy when the way you acted earlier no but he gets in the room and there is again another sort of fight where the the teenage boy has to come to Rob's defense because Ron, Ron's defense, because Ron is getting the shit beat out of him by Steve. Steve has this two by four and is basically beating Ron down to the ground and is bashing him over and over again with this two by four. The kid picks up the saw that Steve had dropped and impales it in Steve's head. And it's a cool, it's a cool effect. It looks a little hokey. It looks a little hokey on the Blu-ray transfer. You can definitely tell that it's just attached like a headband. And you can see like where the blood squirting out, where they must have had the hose attached. But I can imagine in the darker version, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. This whole, uh, this whole sequence, first of all, Steve, I love what they do with his personality when he's in zombie form. He's one of the few zombies you see multiple times. So he leaves with one of the strongest impressions and his banter and his dialogue is pretty great. I would dare say that often points the zombies are the best part of the film because their personalities are just so big. Um, And Steve has this really great moment where he has that saw in his head and he's like dying out and he's like fighting against it. And he looks up at the kid and he says, I guess the party's over, huh? And he dies. But like, it's, it's, there's so much character to these zombies. You really don't get that with zombies a lot. So I really appreciated that. 
Um, and yeah, I just I just think this whole sequence, you're right. It is very repetitive because it is kind of this ongoing thing of, it's like you're in a, playing a video game and you have boss fights. And there's you go from boss to boss to boss. It's very much the same thing. Yeah. At least each zombie's personality is, is unique. Because what we are about to go into is a sequence with Bob. And same thing. Bob is having the time of his fucking life playing this zombie. He is so fun to watch. Oh, well, he's put back together now. He is, his guts are all hanging out, but he's put back together and he's drinking a beer. I want to know where he got the beer from, but he is drinking a beer. And when he's drinking the beer, I don't know if you could see it with your particular version that you watch. But in the cleaned up version, when he's drinking the beer, you can see it coming out of his guts mm-hmm. Yeah, because his whole stomach is open. So I thought that was a cool touch. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's, 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 again, it's very repetitive because now it's Ronald is now attack is going to attack the guys and they have to fight the him off. But Ronald, um, he does, uh, take the, it's Bob, right? I'm saying Ronald. That's Bob. Yes. Bob. Ron is the, Ron is a blue shirt. R- Ron is blue shirt. Bob. Bob is the one now that is going to fight Ronald and the kid, but it's again, it's just so repetitive. It's just, it's the same thing because now he's fighting them. He does take Steve's body out of the room and like cut the leg off and like throws the leg at the guys. Well, he, there's even this moment, like they hear him coming and they see him walk down the hallway. And another thing I like about the zombies is like, yes, they're out to like kill the characters, but they also have like almost an element of cat and mouse where like they go about their business and do their own thing at the same time. And there's this whole sequence where he walks right past them into the room, drags Steve's bodies out, Steve's body out, and he looks at them and he says, First, I found this dug deeply into Steve's skull. I think that's beautiful. Because they're like these violent creatures, these zombies, but like he pulls out, you know, he pulls out the saw blade and he makes that comment. And I just love that little piece of dialogue. Like and the way it was delivered, so great, but there's so much again, so much character to these zombies. And he has this whole spiel before they go into this big elaborate fight sequence. Yeah, and I do like that the guys, the two guys, the two final guys, they at this point are you can tell they're physically exhausted. And I do like this little t- touch when they're sitting out in the hallway on opposite sides facing each other and they look down and they see um, they see Bob coming and you can just tell they're like, oh, fuck, not again. So, they're, 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 so they try to get up. You can just tell they're exhausted. They want this to be over with, but it's not. They go into a room and uh, Bob proceeds to hack the door down with an axe, gets in. And again, and again, it's a it's a very number. It's another elaborate fight scene where Bob is. Basically, getting the best of Ron. He has him pinned up against the wall. He's like punching him, and Ron is getting a few good punches in. But there is a point where you're like, "Oh shit, he's gonna kill him!" But again, the kid comes to the rescue. So the kid hits uh, Ron in the or Bob in the head with a with a pipe, and then that allows uh, Ron to get him on the floor, and he proceeds to bash his head in with a large statue. But all I want to say at this point is. Ronald and his his sexy ass better be happy that this kid did get into the house because he would have been dead a long time ago. And it, it, it it's just so funny that they bring this character yeah, into yeah. the film halfway through and make him what seems like now the prominent like final character, but give him like zero personality. Don't even give him a name. It's just real odd. It's really odd. And he, yeah, it 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 feels. I feel like at this point you feel um, you don't really care. You know, you don't care about who the survivor is. 
because any characters that really had personality or had anything going for them are gone. Ron is probably the blandest of everybody because they didn't really give him a defining anything other than like a blue shirt that makes him really easy to point out and a great pair of arms and a real nice ass. But like, that's literally it. This guy doesn't have anything else that I could even really use to describe him other than blasé. Um, so you, and then, and the kid is, I mean, he, he's helping with the fights. You're right. It gives at least, I guess, gives purpose to why they got into the building, but there is nothing else. There's no relationship with any of the other characters. You don't, I mean, I guess you really assume that they just don't know each other. There's nothing to really fight for. There's nothing to care about, you know? So once they dispatch of Bob, they go downstairs and proceed to try to get out of the house by breaking the windows. That doesn't work. But now the old lady shows up and we are treated to a pretty epic final battle between the two guys and the old lady. Uh, I think this is really well yeah. done. Pretty effective. She does mm -hmm. get a lot of I mean, there's a point where she's kicking both yeah. of their asses at the same time. That's what I'm saying. So in, in on on on. In one scene, she's this meek yeah. old woman that can hardly walk. And in this scene, she's like a superpower that's just beating the shit out of two guys at once, like grabbing them by them, their necks, throwing them across the room. She does get the the kid and gets him up against the wall. And she has this like, this like putty knife thing uh, that she slices his face open on both sides with. And then she stabs mm -hmm. him in the stomach with it. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, this poor kid has has dealt with all this shit and now he's going to be stabbed. But at the same time, Ron hits her with a pole and knocks her off of the boy because, again, Rob needs to or Ron yeah. needs to protect his twink. Right. Knocks her off and she attacks again and stabs Ron in the shoulder with like this. There's just at this point, there's fucking weapons everywhere. There's weapons everywhere. It's a owl or something that she stabs him in the shoulder with. And then the kid attacks her and she takes this flimsy piece of wood and hits him with it and then tries to strangle him with it. And he happens to get a hold of the longest fucking screwdriver I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it, is, it is like three screwdrivers combined into one. It, yeah. The length of it. Yeah. And he stabs it through her ear and through her whole head. <laughs> yeah. And there is a scene where she is just like convulsing and with the screwdriver hanging stuck in her head. And you think she's dead, but she's not. She proceeds to pull the screwdriver out of her head and gets run and is like slapping the shit out of him. The kid, still alive miraculously, gets an axe. Again, because there's axes laying around, there's screwdrivers, there's everything. Everything you could want for a final battle is just right here in this room. The kid axes her in the back. And she's like, eh. Now, at this point, when you know this character is, the old lady is getting the shit beat out of her and, like, they're getting the best of her. Now, wouldn't this have been a good time to, like, have the daughter come back and, like, try to protect her mother? For being killed? Yes, exactly. Like, that was really what I was anticipating was that kind of final, uh, like, final layer of exposition. And it all comes together. Something's explained. You know, at the end of a lot of classic movies, the villain explains, like, why they're doing what they do. Or, you know, you learn something. And there really is, like, as we kind of established already, there's nothing to take away from this. Like, yes, this is the best executed fight sequence, I would say. Though I will say that I think Bob's 
the best zombie in the sense of his fight is just very like wild and vicious. I really li- I like that yeah. sequence, but this is this is a, a really big sequence. They may have had a small budget, but at least they kind of pulled out all, all the stops. And yes, literally every weapon known to man. But there was a lot of potential for I guess I guess closure in a way or just explaining the the purpose of this movie, like what the story was trying to tell. They really could have done something unless maybe they they like lost an actor or something maybe the blonde just walked off set i don't know like because yeah there's a perfect <laughs> potential to add just one more layer to of it to it that really would have just brought it all together and they just don't take advantage of it they just kill her off they kill the old woman off yeah they do because uh ron proceeds to chop her head off with an axe in a very brutal graphic scene yes i mean it shows everything it shows the axe embedded in her neck and she's like convulsing and twitching and and he hits he like chops her in the neck like three different times and then he kicks her head off her body and the head flies go like flies across the floor to the other side of the room and it's like on the floor and it's like screaming and like wheezing and dying it is a very it's a very evil dead type of death with this severed head on the floor, screaming and moaning, very evil dead. Yeah. Um, but a good, it's a pretty effective little, uh, yeah, you know, scene, little effective uh, gore scene. Yeah. So the old lady's dead, and Ron collapses and wakes up the next morning, and it's bright out. The front, all the windows are not open, and the front door is open. So he obviously walks out. And he's outside taking it all in and he turns around to shut the door. I'm assuming, I don't know why he would turn around. My ass would have just jetted out of there, but he turns back around and, and what do we get? A lover scorned. A lover scorned. We get quote unquote Eddie, which probably really is not his name. I mean, you're probably right. It, maybe he just doesn't have a name, but random teenager number two, who has become a very prominent aspect of the film is now a zombie. And he's standing there with the axe, and he raises it high above his head. And in one final gay scream of agony, Ron yells at the top of his lungs, No! And that's the motherfucking end of the movie, and I've never been more pissed off in all of my life. Yeah, I uh, I was wondering about how you would take the ending. Uh. <laughs> I personally... I'm never a f- big fan of a film that kills off like the final character. I-, I don't like that. But in this case, it's just even more infuriating because it seems like it. it's not even it's not even the person that kills him. You know what I'm trying to say? It's not even like part of the, the original plot of the film. Like it has nothing to do with everything that we've been introduced to in this film so far, which is really the old lady and the daughter. I would, I would still hate it, but I would hate it a little less if it was like the daughter, right? That would make sense to me, but to have now random, whatever, Eddie, Johnny, Steven, who knows what his fucking name is to do it. It just seems like unearned, um, particularly because this character was introduced 50 minutes into the film with, Nothing to do except to act like the hero through the parts that he's in. And now you're going to have that person kill off the, what was that ultimately the final boy. It just didn't sit well with me. Like I said, I would have much preferred if they were going to do it 
for it to be the daughter or, you know, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with what really irritated me is your, your whole purpose of apparently bringing this character in was to assist in the survival of what has become the final boy. That's the only purpose of that character. So now mm-hmm. to have him thus in the end be the, the character or the entity that disposes of him it's like, well, what's the fucking point of having had him get through the whole night with this kid's assistance? The only reason he made it out alive after several encounters, this kid helped him multiple times, helped kill the old woman, and died, unfortunately. Um, but then you're going to have this one character make it out alive, and, and that's what you're going to give me? Is Why even have him assist up to the point that he does? It, it just makes it feel really like... One big letdown. You know, it was just a big womp womp. It was like a Debbie Downer moment, you know? It is a downing. It's a downer ending. I think they were trying to go for, like, shock value or, or you know, a twist. Yeah. But it just doesn't work for me, particularly Same. because nothing about this film is explained. So, right. but with that said, this film is entertaining as fuck. And I could yes. watch this film multiple times and be equally entertained I, I do feel like the ending does get a little bit repetitive and the beginning is a little bit of a rough start but what this film has some very effective scenes and again entertaining as fuck and despite its shortcomings because it definitely has them i, I don't think you can find a um you know a, a, a film as entertaining as this in terms of you know a late 80s slasher slash zombie entry this one is just fun to watch if you can put aside all of the ridiculous unanswered elements of it but that should come to no surprise considering it is a trauma film i mean this is the same company that put out you know uh class of newcomb high and and this ridiculous shit that it's just brainless entertainment to sit back and watch yeah i i think one thing i took away from this movie is it's a movie i mean it is it's as indie as they come um, and the flaws and the shortcomings are very obvious. You see them. Uh, but also when they succeed, when they accomplish certain things, it's all the more impressive. So for everything that sit, sat poorly with me, and there's a fair share of things that I didn't really enjoy about this movie, I still really enjoyed the movie overall as a full entity because... I think that it's really impressive what they managed to pull off. And yeah, I think you're right. It's it's extremely entertaining. Like what a popcorn flick. Uh I really want to see it in a in a higher quality because I'm just curious to see how some of these makeup effects and gore effects translate. And even if they don't translate that well, it's almost that much more endearing all things considered. I just think that unfortunately some of the more amateur elements of the film, the storyline especially and how they treat some of the characters. Those weaknesses are just really clear and evident as the movie progresses. But it's got a um, it's got a series of really great kills. Uh, it's got some really fun effects. It's got some really fun, unique takes on the zombie lure and how they approach it. So yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. Even with my multiple complaints, I still come away from this with a uh, with a fondness for this film i agree i have a, i have a huge fondness for the this film which is why i chose it 
d- despite my yeah, despite my complaints. But that's what we're here for. That's what we do on the podcast is we take a look at these films and we we examine them through um, sort of a critical lens, an entertaining critical lens. And you know, I, I think we were, despite everything, I, I still think this is a, a film that's entertaining that I have a fondness for. And like I said, I could watch this film. I could go put it on right now and, and be entertained by it. It just has a high entertainment value. I think that the film ended up being way more entertaining than it probably deserved to be, considering I do think a lot of the amateurist elements of the film are very apparent. But I think what saved this film is that it was made with a lot of heart and passion. And and you can completely tell that the cast was having a great time. The, the time of their lives making this film. And I think the filmmakers were having the time of their lives making the film. So when you get that combination of, of, of people together that are really enjoying the process of what they're doing, it's going to translate well on screen. And I think it does in this case. Uh, you can tell the film was made with a lot of heart. And I appreciate that. I really do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm happy we watched it. I think it was a great choice. I like that it's one of those more obscure titles. I know sometimes we're hesitant to pick those because you never know how the fans are going to respond. But I think it's been pretty clear that you, there's a, a fair amount of listeners who enjoy this title. I completely understand why. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was Dead Dudes in the House, a.k.a. The House on Tombstone Hill, a.k.a. The Dead Come Home. <laughs> Yes. So yes. What is in st- you know you know you know what our next episode is, Roger? No, you. It's a milestone. I do you know do. what it is? I do. Uh, next episode is our thirtieth big episode. Three it's a big three zero. Big three zero. And you know what's also really awesome? Aside from it dropping the week of my thirty fifth birthday, is um, the fact that it's also of our full year anniversary. Like we launched a year ago next week with Hell Bent. We did it. Hellbent. With Hellbent, yes. And I was looking at the list of films that we've covered, and Jesus Christ, this year we've we've covered so many films this year. I was going to make a post of all the films that we covered this year, and it's been, I mean, we've covered like 23 films since January. The first film we covered this of 2021 was Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, and that seems like ages ago. I mean, ages ago. A classic. Ago. One of our best episodes. If you haven't listened to it, go back. Please treat yourself. If you have listened to it, go back and treat yeah. yourself. So that's what we're, yeah, guys, you know, because there will probably be a little bit of a lag in when our next episode is released, because like I said, I'll be on vacation, but we will get it out probably early the next week. So you can expect like a kind of a week lag. We hate doing that. But in this case, you know, it, we're letting you know. And then we'll get back onto our regular weekly schedule because we have been really consistent at getting these episodes out on a weekly basis, which I love. And, um, yeah, so if you are missing us within next week, go back and listen to some of our earlier episodes if you haven't listened to them. Uh, we have so many out yeah. there now. I mean, this is our 29th episode. So, um, yeah, catch up. So Catch up. You got some catch speaking up Speaking of, yeah. Roger, we, we know what our next episode is, right? Mm-hmm. We do. Well, there's a few things that I find pretty exciting about our next episode, aside from being our 30th episode and celebrating our big one year anniversary how romantic troy one year together um so for my birthday i decided i wanted to have a guest Uh i thought what better reason to have a guest and so i extended an invitation to a very good friend of mine one of my closest friends and a great talent next week our guest will be the 
astonishing Caitlin E. Newbery. Mm. Caitlin is one of my closest friends, and she's an amazing actress. And horror fans, you're probably going to know some of her credits. She's been in a few movies with me, but she's been in a lot more movies uh, aside from that. Uh, she was recently in the movie Widow's Point, which has gotten a lot of attention. She's the female lead in that. She's in Lake Fear 3. Who doesn't love Lake Fear 3? Uh, she's in Mother Krampus 2 and The Curse of Lilith Ratchet with me, the latter in which we play lovers. Uh, that's believable. But she's <laughs> honestly, she's got an, <laughs> an insane resume and she keeps on working within the genre. And she's just uh, a great person and a great talent. She's hilarious. So I think you guys are going to love her. And she's an amazing actress, so I thought it would be really wise to pick a title that is a horror movie rooted really in, I would say, the performances, the strong performances, uh, an actor's horror film, if you will. So I decided, because I like to assign a, t- a, a film that our guest has not seen. I find that more exciting and get their honest, fresh feedback on it. So um, I picked for Caitlin the 2002 indie classic, and I mean that, uh, directed by Lucky McKee, we have May. May starring Angela Bettis, Jeremy Sisto, and Anna Ferris in what I think is probably her best performance. Um, I love this film. I know Caitlin has not seen it, and I think she will love it too because she's a little dark, a little edgy. And uh, honestly, this movie, now going back and thinking of last week's episode, I kind of get a little bit of... Um, of pieces vibes, all things considered, what with the conclusion of pieces, I think this is kind of like a really cool follow up. When you think of the similarities between the two, um, I just think this is a great movie though, and I think Caitlin is going to love talking about it. So I think it's like the perfect fit. Yeah, I'm super excited. I love May. That's all I'm going to say right now, because yeah, it's I actually had the um, pleasure of interviewing Lucky McKee. Uh, for my site, for my blog that I used to run, frightmeter.com, and it should still be up. So if you go to frightmeter.com and, and there's a uh, link at the top that says interviews, I interviewed Lucky McKee about this film and the woman um, that, that he directed that came out with um, Pollyanna McIntosh. So check that out. So I have a really uh, strong connection with this film and I love it to death. I think Angela Bettis was robbed of an Oscar nomination for this film by far. And that's, yeah, so we are going to have a wonderful conversation about this film. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming Caitlin is going to enjoy it. But if she doesn't, that'll even make for a more interesting conversation. So if she doesn't, we'll scorn her and we'll say, get off of our show. We'll shame her. We'll turn off yeah, her mind. Shame. Absolutely. But I'm excited. Um, yeah, me too. I think it's going to be great. And I think that it's um, honestly, I'm a little more open to like leaning into some of these more not saying that may is obscure it's not but i think that it's one of those movies that like you have somebody who's getting more into mainstream horror and they're just not going to think to look into some of these titles i want to make sure that new generation is aware of some of these indie classics like may that really don't get the recognition they always deserve because i think it's fucking iconic and should be widely acknowledged as one of the better horror films of the 2000s so yeah i think it'll be a great conversation i'm very excited to discuss it with you as always okay well you have something to look forward to guys in just over a week like i said this episode the may episode will probably be out the not next week but the following week midweek early next early that week once i get back and get settled again uh so in the meantime like i said go look go uh, listen to some of our past episodes uh, get caught up and um, watch May if you haven't seen it. And of course, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
and we will be back with you very soon with May and Caitlin Newberry. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. See you guys soon. Another year older for my birthday. Make sure you give me a gift. Leave us a review. Woohoo. All right. We will talk to you later. Bye. 